All right, good morning, church. We still got 16 minutes of morning left, so I'm going to keep saying morning until I can't say it anymore. You guys having a good day? Did you get enough sleep? I know some of you, probably Sarah, went to bed around the 5 o'clock a.m. range. What time did you go to bed? 2.30. Okay, that's reasonable, I guess. Not for me. I went to bed like 11 because I had to get up at 7. That's just the way I roll. But it's good to see you guys. Um, I'm Daniel. I'm on staff here at H2O. I know you guys haven't seen me up here. Uh, this is my first time actually preaching on a Sunday morning, not during the summer. Um, so that's good. So that song that we were singing, it said, Lord, I need you. Did that resonate with anybody at all? Hopefully, hopefully, Abby, Abby, it resonated with you. Awesome. So for me, it definitely resonated because I felt like, man, the responsibility of bringing the word before the church, man, I need the Lord because I'm not going to be able to do that by myself. Um, and so I'm honored to be here this morning, be able to share with you from the Word. So let's, let's pray. We're going to get started. Does that sound good? All right. Father God, thank you so much this morning, Lord. Uh, we need you. I know I do. I pray that it would not be my words, but your words, that the people here this morning, Lord, that you would speak to hearts through the Holy Spirit. And if there's something you need to do in somebody's life that has nothing to do with the book of Judges and nothing to do with what I say, Lord, that you would do that through your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So last week, Grant kicked off our series. You remember what it's about? Judges. Okay. Now, see, I like feedback. Um, I do like deeper waters normally, and, you know, it's a discussion thing, and I like some feedback. So you feel free to answer any questions I ask. Riley, I'm talking to you. You can answer any questions I ask. All right. So what we, we did last week? Judges. judges. That's right. Okay. So we started a series of judges, and Grant talked about obedience. And he didn't just talk about, like, kind of obedience. He talked about complete obedience and how we're called to obey all that God has told us to do. Now, this morning... Um, I've been tasked with talking about unfaithfulness, which kind of has like a negative tone to it, you know. And you may not know this, but we actually plan our whole semester preaching ahead of time, and which is good. Planning is good. Even for those of you who aren't planners, it's a good thing to do sometimes. And so we kind of set aside each week as a certain kind of text in Scripture. So it might be like a chapter from Isaiah. It might be like part of the Sermon on the Mount, like last semester, right? Turn on the mount, the whole semester. All right, so we're doing Judges, but the section that I was tasked with was, quote, the whole book of Judges slash Old Testament. And you're like, okay, that's like over half the Bible, great. Um, and if you, if you know me, you might be like, oh no, oh no. Is he going to read the whole Old Testament? Because we will be here for a week. Now, I'm not going to do that, don't worry, but that's kind of what I had to start with, okay, was the whole book of Judges and the whole Old Testament, because in that we see the unfaithfulness of God's people, but we see the faithfulness of God. And in fact, in Judges, there's this kind of line that gets repeated of a lot. It says, then the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, so what would happen was is that God would provide for them, and then they would go and worship idols, and then God would turn them over to their enemies, and then they would say, God, help us, and then God would help them. And then this cycle just kept repeating and repeating and repeating. And so as I was thinking about this, I was like, what to share from, uh, there are several psalms that kind of demonstrate this, that show this unfaithfulness of the people, but faithfulness of God. And so I decided to go with Psalm 106. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Psalm 106, and we're going to walk through some of these verses. Now, this is a long psalm. We're going to do it. We're going to truck through it. We're going to read it. Not the whole thing, but most of it. And it's going to be awesome, okay? Is that cool? Now, there should be some text up there behind me. You can follow along with that. Otherwise, you can follow on your phone or in your Bible. So we're going to start in verse 6. Here we go. It says, Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have done wrong and have acted wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wonderful works or remember your many acts of faithful love. 
Instead, they rebelled by the Red Sea. Yet he saved them because of his name, to make his power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the adversary. He redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Water covered their foes. Not one of them remained. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. So what's happening here is that God has just delivered his people from Egypt, from slavery for 400 years. They get to the water and they're trapped, okay, because the, the Egyptian army is behind them. The Red Sea is in front of them. They're like, what are we going to do? And obviously they were afraid. I would have been afraid too. But now, not only were they afraid, is they did not trust in God. But what God did, you probably know this story, he parted the Red Sea. And they got to walk through. You guys heard of that before? Maybe it sounds familiar. Okay, so he parted the Red Sea. They walked through. And then the Egyptian army followed them, trying to get them. And then God closed the Red Sea back and destroyed the army. And so in this point, it says they believed God's promises and sang his praise. But there's some negative things that come after this. It says they soon forgot his works and could not wait for his counsel. They were seized with cravings in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. He gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. So what happens is that God provides food for his people. He gives them manna from heaven. Maybe you've heard of manna. But then the people are like, man, I don't like manna. I remember back in Egypt, we had like cucumbers and melons and fish whenever we wanted. They forgot that they were like in slavery. They just remembered the cucumbers and the melons, which now is a famous fragrance from Bath and Body Works, whatever, cucumber melon, but cucumbers and melons. And so they're like, God, we want more than manna. What's the deal? And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you quail. But at the same time, you're going to be punished as well. So this is what's going on. They keep grumbling. Okay, keep going. It says, In the camp they were envious of Moses and of Aaron, the Lord's holy one. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan. It covered the assembly of Abiram. Fire blazed throughout their assembly, and flames consumed the wicked. Okay, so what happens here is God called Moses to lead his people from Egypt. And God uses him, and he sends these plagues, and they parted the Red Sea. You'd think, okay, the people are going to trust Moses. But there are some of these guys who said, hey, this is not fair. We're from the family of Levi, too. We should have some power as well. And so they rebel against Moses, and they rebel against God. And so God literally opens up the earth and swallows the rebellion. So again, kind of a pretty direct show of power. All right, let's keep going. It says, At Horeb, the Mount of God, they made a calf and worshipped the cast metal image. They exchanged their glory for the image of a grass-eating ox. They forgot God their Savior, who did great things in Egypt, wonderful works in the land of Ham, awe-inspiring acts at the Red Sea. So God said he would have destroyed them if Moses, his chosen one, had not stood before him in the breach to turn his wrath away from destroying them. Okay, so now they're not just grumbling. They're not just being kind of disobedient. They're straight up made a golden calf. Okay, so it's a pretty big deal. And they said, no, we're going to worship this. This is something we can control. We're going to follow this. And God says, "Uh, I don't think so. In fact, I'm going to wipe you out. But Moses says, God, don't do that. That's not your character. The people are going to say, oh, you just brought your people out of Egypt just to destroy them. And that's not good. That's not good for your people. It's not good for you. And so God relented. Okay, so you might think, oh, maybe the people are okay. Like, God was going to destroy us. Moses stood up for us. We're going to be good now. Nope. It said they despised the pleasant land and did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not listen to the Lord's voice. So he raised his hand against them with an oath that he would make them fall in the desert and would disperse their descendants among the nations, scattering them throughout the lands. Okay, so now they get to this river called the Jordan. And the whole point of them coming out of Egypt was to go to this land that God had promised them, the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. So they get to this river, and they send these spies in, and the spies go check it out, you know, and they see all these awesome grapes, and they might even have some melons there. It's going to be great. But the thing is, they see the people, and the people have big cities and have strong armies, and they're actually kind of big, and they're like, oh, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. And so they put fear in the hearts of the people, 
And the people say, we, no, we're not going. We're afraid. We're not going to do it. And so they actually try to kill Moses. They try to kill Joshua, and they try to kill Caleb, who are two of the spies that said, no, we should do it. And because of that, God punishes them and says, okay, your generation, you're going to all die in the wilderness. And so they roam around for 40 years. Remember last week, Grant talked about that, how what should have only taken a few weeks took 40 years because of their disobedience. All right, let's keep going. It says, they aligned themselves with Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They provoked the Lord with their deeds, and a plague broke out against them. But Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. It was credited to him as righteousness throughout all generations to come. They angered the Lord at the waters of Meribah, and Moses suffered because of them, for they embittered his spirit, and he spoke rashly with his lips. So what happens is that God, the people are complaining, and God tells Moses to go and speak to this rock, and there's going to be water to provide for them. But Moses is understandably upset with the people because they can't get their act together. And so he strikes the rock with anger and doesn't obey God. And because of that, Moses is not allowed to go in the promised land. So the same guy who prayed for the people said, God, don't destroy them. Because of the people's unfaithfulness, Moses himself is not even able to go to the promised land. It keeps getting worse. It says, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but mingled with the nations and adopted their ways. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. So the land became polluted with blood. They defiled themselves by their actions and prostituted themselves by their deeds. So instead of being faithful to God and obeying him, they actually like hung out with all these other folks around them who were worshiping idols and not just hanging out with them, but they actually started worshiping these idols as well. But then, even worse, they sacrificed their own children to these guys. So you can imagine at this point, God's not super happy. Therefore, the Lord's anger burned against his people, and he abhorred their, his own inheritance. He handed them over to the nations. Those who hated them ruled them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. And so we see in the book of Judges. We see the people continually being turned over to their enemies. The same idols that they were following, the people of Israel, were the idols of these nations who would overpower them. But the, look at these last three verses. It says, He rescued them many times, but they continued to rebel deliberately. They were beaten down by their sin. When he heard their cry, he took note of their distress, remembered his covenant with them, and relented according to the riches of his faithful love. So despite the people's unfaithfulness continually and just getting worse and worse and worse, God continued to be faithful to them. And so he sent these people that we see in Judges like Gideon, Deborah, Ehud, the left-handed guy. That's awesome. I'm left-handed. That's great. Samson. These were imperfect people that God empowered to defeat the enemies that oppressed God's children. Now, I don't know about you, Maybe you've heard these stories before, maybe it's the first time, but when I was a kid, like my mom would tell me about these stories about the judges, and I was like, these people are idiots. Like, what are they doing? Are you serious? Like, you make a golden calf after God, like, parts the Red Sea? Like, if I saw somebody part the Red Sea, I for sure would be making no idols, no other gods. That's what I think, and maybe you thought the same thing, but the thing is, we do the same thing. Like, God shows himself to us, or at least to me, all the time, and I continually am unfaithful to him, and I forget how he's blessed me. I forget what he's given me. I forget to be thankful. I forget to give him glory. And instead, I complain and I have a heart of jealousy. I have a heart of anger, whatever that might be. So maybe it'd be easier for you guys if you think about some specific things. So I thought I would kind of tell you three areas of my life where I've disobeyed God, pretty obviously. Um, Now, when I was in eighth grade, I did pretty well in school. Uh, I had good grades, all that good stuff. Um, But there was this person in one of my classes who, for some reason, I I have no clue why, I I don't know, maybe it was because my locker was under hers and she was over me and I had to like lean down to open it and she would just be like over, I have no idea why, but I got angry with her. And like, I don't just mean like 
once or twice or like maybe for a week. Basically, the whole year of eighth grade, I had anger in my heart towards this girl. And I just kind of developed and developed and developed, and eventually it became hate. Now, I didn't ever do anything about it because I was a pansy, and I wasn't going to do that. But in my heart, I had this hate towards this person. And it obviously affected my relationship with him. I had all my classes with him, and it affected me in that way. But it also affected my ability to communicate to other people, to be friends, to be true friends with other people. And it certainly negatively impacted my view of God. Now, that was before I was a Christian, that I had this kind of anger issue, and for, for whatever reason, it kind of went away after eighth grade, um, but something else kind of came up sophomore year. So sophomore year, I started looking at pornography. Now, this is before I became a Christian, but it kind of got a seed in my life. Now, at that point in time, I wasn't like concerned about it. It wasn't like a big deal to me, but at the same time, I still was like not super excited about it. Like, I didn't want my parents to know. I didn't want my friends to know. It was a private thing in my heart, but it still was true. Okay, so that started when I was a sophomore, and then when I was, summer before senior year of high school is when I became a Christian, started following the Lord, but I still had this thing in my life, and I continued to do it, and even initially, still not something that was like that concerning to me, but it was still something that was there and impacted the way I thought and the things that I did, and again, I had this shame, but then as I grew in my faith, I realized, okay, this is not good, obviously, I need to stop this, but at that point, it, it was already there, and I couldn't just like push it away, and it'd be gone immediately. And so over the course of nine years, so I started when I was 15, up until when I was 24, this was something that had a str- like I just struggled with. It was, had a hold in my life, and I knew that God had forgiven me for that because I was his child, but at the same time, I couldn't like stop completely. And there were times when it was like really, really there, and then sometimes it wasn't really there that much, but it was still always there. And there was this shame and guilt that directly impacted my relationship with God, for sure. It also impacted the way I viewed women, uh, it was not good about that at all. They became this object instead of someone who to care about and be kind towards. Now, thankfully, when I was 24, there were some several things that happened. Primarily, honestly, it was just a matter of like being consistent in God's word was the main thing. But there was, that God used some things to kind of conquer that in my life. Praise God for that. But still, like that, that was a cycle of unfaithfulness in my life that didn't just go away because I became a Christian. Now, there's something else that's been more recent, because I'm not 24 anymore. I may look 24, but I'm not. So there's some things, there's still things in my life that I struggle with. And the thing that I think is most prominent right now is the idea of trusting God. And maybe that resonates a little bit more with you. Okay, man, oh man, like, I have a hard time trusting God. Like, okay, I'm studying engineering, and it's like, okay, but I'm not really digging my co-op, and I don't know if I should stick with that. Hey, that was me in college. I started off in engineering and wasn't sure, like, man, do I, how do I trust God with maybe keeping this or not keeping this, changing my major. Maybe you're about to graduate and you're like, oh my gosh, I got to get a job. I can't find a job. What's the deal with the jobs? But man, there's an aspect of trusting God. Now, I don't mean don't look for a job, don't interview, you, just sit in your house and you know, drink a soda and hope the job's coming. But there's this aspect of trusting God. And for me, that's something that's always been a struggle. And, and for me, even becoming a Christian, that was true. Like I wanted to control everything in my life. But I, what, what had to happen was I had to trust God with my life. I had to give that over to him. And even, even recently, this year, things will happen, something seemingly small, like maybe I hit a deer over brick, which I did do, by the way. I hit a deer. And so I had to get my car fixed, but they're like, hey, we can't get it fixed till January 3rd. And I'm like, I've got to be back in Cincinnati by January 3rd because I've got to fly to California. What am I going to do? And so I just overcome with worry and like stress, which is like, okay, it's, it's understandable that I want to get back, but I can just trust God with that. And if you know what? If it gets fixed, great. If it doesn't, it's okay. I'll get to spend less money because I'm not going to California and I won't spend money. Okay, so there's this thing that's, that's been consistent is that, man, I'd really struggle with trusting God. Even with this sermon this morning, 
Like, it's hard to, like, trust, like, you know what? It's going to be fine. If somebody falls asleep, it's okay. It's not a big deal. You know, I don't want that to happen, but I need to trust God through that. And the thing is, my unfaithfulness is actually much worse than the Israelites. Now, granted, I haven't worshipped any golden calves. I don't have any children to sacrifice to demons, okay? I don't have that. And so it seems like, well, that's actually not that bad. It's not as bad. But the thing is, they had these imperfect people that were their leaders. I, don't, I have someone who's not imperfect. I have Jesus. Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, God's son, perfect. He died for me, and I'm his child, yet I still am unfaithful to him. So in many ways, that's worse, because I have the Holy Spirit living in me. Now, for some of you guys... Maybe you're in a spot where you feel like, man, I'm really unfaithful right now. But some of you might be like, man, I'm, I'm being pretty faithful. Like, I feel like I'm following God. I feel like I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm serving. I'm doing well in school. But life is still hard. Life still kind of sucks sometimes. Well, that can also be the case. And so what we're going to do is, I know that that song we looked at was kind of a big, broad picture. We're going to look at a smaller picture, a picture of a family that we see in the Bible and kind of look how, how their lives may relate to some of those feelings of, man, I'm being faithful, but life is not always easy. So you guys heard of Abraham? Does sound familiar? Okay, he's you know, in the book of Genesis. Fun fact, Genesis, first thing I think of, creation. Creation's only like 3% of Genesis. Abraham's like 21% of Genesis. And this guy we're going to talk about this morning is 30% of Genesis. Now, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to read it. Okay, but we're going to talk about it. Now, Abraham was a cool guy. He was great. He was very faithful, but he still struggled with something, and that was lying. There was two different times, very important things that he lied that could have directly impacted God's plan for humanity, but God was faithful and protected him. Now, his son was named what? Abraham's son was? Isaac, also Ishmael. That's true, Justin. You're, you're on it. You're on it. But Isaac's what I'm talking about. Isaac, also faithful, but he also struggled with lying. He lied in a very similar situation to Abraham. Now, Isaac had two sons. Justin, who were they? Jacob and Esau. Okay. So Jacob is who we're going to kind of focus in a little bit on. And Jacob was actually known, like his reputation was that of a deceiver. Okay. So grandfather lied, father lied. Jacob was just like full on deceiver. Like he tricked his brother. He tricked his dad. He tricked his father-in-law. He tricked everybody. Okay. Now here's Jacob. He kind of went off on his own. He ended up meeting this girl. Her name was Rachel. And he's like, she's kind of cute. And so Rachel's dad said, well, you can marry her, but you got to work for seven years. Okay, so he works for seven years, and then he gets to marry Rachel. But the thing is, his father-in-law tricked him and instead gave him his older daughter, Leah, to marry. Now, as you can probably imagine, Jacob, not super pumped about that, that I just married the wrong woman. And so he said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'll work seven more years if you let me marry Rachel now. And so he does. So here's, here's the beginning of an issue. Jacob has two wives. Don't, don't do that. If you take away something, don't, don't do that. Don't have two wives. So he has two wives. And there's some conflict there because Jacob fell in love with Rachel, not Leah. And so guess who his favorite is? Rachel. Rachel's his favorite, okay? So there's some jealousy going on because Leah's like, hey, I'm here too, and I want you to love me, which is right because this is her husband. But Jacob loves Rachel more. But this is the thing. God blesses Leah with children. She gives Jacob some sons. And so now Rachel's jealous of Leah because Leah has sons, so she's got some, got some problems. Well, long story short, eventually Rachel has a son. And you know what her son's name was? Joseph. That's right, Joseph. Okay, so Joseph's got 10 older brothers, and then Joseph comes along. Now, if you can imagine that Rachel was Jacob's favorite, well, can you imagine what her firstborn son is? Also his favorite. Now, how many of you guys have siblings? Probably most of you. I have a sibling, younger brother. 
Sometimes when I was a kid, I felt like he was the favorite. Have y'all ever felt like your sibling was maybe the favorite? You're like, come on, mom. How does he get to do that? He's only four. I'm eight and I don't even get to do that yet. What's the deal? So sometimes you can feel like, man, this other sibling is, is my parents' favorite. Well, in my case, it's not true. My parents don't actually love Timothy more than they love me. It just seemed like that sometimes. The deal was Jacob actually did love Joseph more than his brothers. So there were some issues. And in fact, he actually gave Joseph this like nice coat. And I'm kind of a coat guy. I like jackets. So I can kind of see why the brothers kind of like, dude, this is not cool. Like, well, I didn't get no cool. I didn't even get a sweater. You know, like, what's the deal? So Jacob, Jacob gives Joseph this, this coat. He's already the favorite. All right. Now, not only that, Joseph had this kind of ability, spiritual gift, if you will. He would have dreams. Y'all, y'all ever heard about this? We had these dreams. Now, the thing about Joseph was he was a verbal processor, much like myself. He would tell people about his dreams. He'd just kind of talk about it, maybe me like a little bragging going on, you know, like, hey, I had this dream, and uh, in this dream, brothers, you all bow down to me. <laughs> and so as you can imagine, again, brother's not super excited about that. Like, this, this little twerp thinks we're going to bow down to him? Uh, I don't think so. All right, so there's this, all this tension going on, this envy, this jealousy. Well, one day, the ten older brothers are out being shepherds, taking care of the sheep, and Jacob says, hey, I'm not going to have as much freedom of motion, but other than that, we'll be fine. All right, so where were we at? Oh, yeah, guy's out keeping the sheep. Joseph is going to go check on them. All right, so he comes out to them, and as they see him coming, they're like, hey, this is our chance. Let's take this guy and kill him because he's daddy's favorite, and we're tired of it. And so now one of them says, hey, uh, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a well. So they throw him into a well, and then these slave traders come by, and they're like, hey, Judah. Judah says, um, let's, uh, let's sell him to the slave traders. Then we don't have to kill him, and then he's still out of our hands. And they're like, hey, that's a great idea. So they sell Joseph to the slave. Now, I'm guessing none of you have ever sold any of those favored brothers or sisters of slaves. I'm hoping. But that would be bad if he did that, just in case you're wondering. So this is bad. And so now they have to go back to Jacob and say, uh, hey, uh, we think Joseph died. Here's this coat. It's got blood on it. It's probably killed by wild animals. And so they deceive, again, remember, deceive. They deceive Jacob and make him think, oh, my son's dead. So you can imagine that's really hard on him. And he has to suffer through that. And in fact, for the next 20 years, he has to think in his head that Joseph is dead. Now, in the meantime, Joseph is being taken by the slave traders to Egypt, and he gets sold to a guy. Does anybody know his name? Potiphar. Okay, he gets sold to Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is a kind of high-ranking dude in Egypt. The thing is, God actually really blesses Joseph, and Joseph comes off good, and so he kind of gets like a lot of responsibility from Potiphar, and that's great, but the problem is, is Potiphar had a wife, and she thought Joseph was cute, and so she would hit on Joseph all the time, be like, hey, Joseph, uh, we should uh, get together, and Joseph would say, no, 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 and this happened all the time, like constantly. Well, one day, she does this, and she like grabs Joseph, like, hey, sleep with me, and he says no, and he runs away which is exactly what the New Testament tells us to do, right? It says flee from sexual temptation. So Joseph's like, yes, I got it right. I did it. I followed God. This is awesome. You ever felt like that? Man, I did the right thing. Well, in this case, Potiphar's wife was not pleased, and she lied to Potiphar and said, hey, Joseph tried to rape me. Well, Potiphar, not happy about this, you know, he's like, uh, this is not cool, Joseph. I gave you this responsibility. That's not cool. I'm throwing you in prison. So this guy who was, who was being faithful was unjustly sold into slavery, and then he was unjustly put into prison. Well, again, God blesses him, and, and he gets a lot of kind of responsibility because the, the prison guards like him. 
And then there's these two guys that used to work for Pharaoh, and they get thrown into prison because something, something goes down. And they're there, and Joseph meets them, and they have dreams. Oh, and remember, Joseph has this ability. He, like, knows about dreams. And so he's like, hey, tell me your dream. And so the first guy tells him the dream and says, this happened. And Joseph's like, hey, good news. You're going to be freed, and you're going to go back to Pharaoh and work for Pharaoh. And he's like, sweet. And he said, now, when you go back to Pharaoh, remember me and tell Pharaoh about me so I can get out of here. And he's like, oh, no problem, Joseph. I got you covered. The second guy, dream not so well. He's like, hey, actually, you're going to die. And so he dies. Well, guess what happens? The guy goes back to the Pharaoh. Yeah, it's so what happens. The guy goes back to Pharaoh, and he forgets Joseph. Have you ever felt forgotten before? Have you ever felt that way? So for two years, Joseph is just chilling in prison, and this guy was supposed to tell Pharaoh, like, hey, let my friend Joseph out. He's awesome. And he didn't do it. Man, I've never, been, I've never been left in prison for two years, but I have felt kind of left and abandoned. Well, Joseph had to have felt that way. Well, two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And then the guy was like, hey, hey, I know a guy who knows about dreams. And so he actually gets the guts to tell Pharaoh, hey, remember that time you put me in prison? You didn't really like me that much. I met this guy, Joseph, who's a Hebrew. He might be able to help you. And so Pharaoh's pretty desperate because none of his advisors can help. And so he brings Joseph out and he says, hey, Here's my dream. I saw seven fat cows. They got eaten by seven skinny cows. I don't have a clue what's going on. What's the deal? Help me out. My friend said, you can help me. And he said, okay, God can show me what's going on here. This is the deal. There's going to be seven years of plenty, good stuff going on, lots of grain. And there's going to be seven years of famine. And what happened when the skinny cows ate the fat cows is the seven years of famine are going to overwhelm the plenty. That's how bad it's going to be. And this is what you should do. You should find a smart guy. You should put him in charge and store up a bunch of grain so you can save the people. And Pharaoh said, that's a good idea. You should do that. And so he puts Joseph over, like, the whole country of Egypt. And you're like, wow, now I see. Joseph went through all this crap so he could, like, be here in this place, and God's going to, mm, it's going to be awesome. All right, so that's what we see. So there's these seven years of plenty, and then the famine hits. Life ain't so grand, but guess what? Joseph got grains that stored up, so everybody starts coming to him to get food. And this makes Egypt very wealthy, by the way, which helps them for the long term, so not a bad deal for Pharaoh. And so at one point, Jacob's like, hey, we ain't got no food. Sons, go get some food from Egypt. I hear they got food. And so, but he doesn't send all of his sons. He just sends the oldest ten because, see, there was another brother, the youngest brother. Y'all know his name? Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was also the son of Rachel, so you can imagine at this point, He's like kind of the new favorite now. And so Jacob's like, I can't send him. If something happens to him, I will die because that will be so sad. And so he sends the older ten brothers. They go to Egypt. They come before Joseph. Joseph says, those are my brothers. Now the brothers don't recognize Joseph because Joseph looks kind of Egyptian now. But Joseph knows them because they still look Hebrew. So I know those guys. And, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to test them. Now you know what happens? Those brothers bow down before Joseph. Do you remember that, that dream he had? Like, what? This has, like, been 20 years later. It came true. That's crazy. All right, we'll keep, we'll keep going. So the brothers bow down. Joseph said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test them. So he's like, okay, I'm going to take Simeon, this guy, because he probably, like, made fun of Joseph and gave him swirlies when he was a kid. He put Simeon in jail, and he says, I'll tell you what, you're spies. And unless you bring your younger brother back, I don't believe you. I'm going to keep Simeon in prison. And so the brothers go back, and they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. So they go to tell Jacob what happened, and Jacob said, uh, I'm not giving you Benjamin. Simeon's just going to have to rot in prison. Well, after a little while, yeah, I know, Simeon, uh, sorry, buddy. Um, but after a while, the brothers are like, Dad, we need grain or we're going to die. And he said, we'll go back to Egypt. And he said, we're not going without Benjamin. 
the dude told us. He said, don't come back without Benjamin. And Judah says, Dad, give me Benjamin. I'll take responsibility for him. If something happens to him, it'll be on me. So Jacob says, okay, go. And so they go back. Joseph sees him. He gets a little teary-eyed because this is like, okay, he realizes this is his younger brother, Benjamin. <sighs> Pulls himself together, feeds him, releases Simeon, sends him back. But he decides to test him one more time. He puts his golden cup in the top of Benjamin's sack. Goes and sends his, his officers and takes him back. And he says, hey, I see that this boy has my cup in his sack. That's not good. I'm throwing that joker in prison. And Judah says, don't do this. Don't do this. I don't know what happened with the cup. But if you take him, our father will die. He'll be so sad because, you see, Benjamin's older brother, Joseph, he, he's, he's dead. And that's all that our father has from, from his wife, Rachel. And at this point, Joseph, he, he, he's like, okay, he's like so overcome, the word for klimt might be the right word. He's so overcome, he just starts weeping. And these brothers are like, uh, what's dude doing? Why is he crying? I guess he's sad for our dad. I don't really know what's the deal. And Joseph says, guys, guys, it's me, Joseph. And they're like. What? What are you talking about? Uh, what do you mean? It's like, no, for real, I'm Joseph. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is Joseph. He's in a position of power. He is going to kill us so hard. And they're like, oh, no, this is not good. And Joseph says, no, 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 look, look, listen, listen. This is what he says. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. See, Joseph understood. He said he realized that his brothers had been really crappy brothers and sold him into slavery and all this crappy stuff had happened. But he realized, man, like God put him there for a reason, for a purpose. And that purpose was not only to like save Egypt and make it prosperous and like for him to be like in a cool position. But see, God had called the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to save all of humanity. You've heard about a guy named Jesus probably maybe once or twice. So Jesus comes from that family, and if it hadn't have been for Joseph in that position, they would have been wiped out in this famine. So God called Joseph in this place to, to save these people. But still, throughout this story, we see this cycle of deception and jealousy, right? We see how the brothers sinned, and Potiphar's wife sinned, and dude from Pharaoh's court forgot about Joseph for two years. So we see all this stuff going on, but we see how even though stuff seemed to really suck in the time, that God was faithful, now, you guys might be familiar with this lyric. It's in a song that I've at least sung, and maybe you sung. It says, all things work together for my good. Y'all familiar with that? Okay, so that's great. That's from a Bible. That's not what the Bible verse really says, okay? So there's actually more to it, okay? So if you would, turn with me to Romans 8, 28. It's a pretty famous one. All right, it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, in all fairness to the lyric, it would not be that catchy of a song if it said, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we, we know that, right? You can't fit all that stuff in there. We understand. But there's an importance to what the rest of that says. It says, those who love God. So if we love God, then God has something good for us, okay? And that, that good thing is, is eternity with him, and it also is now we can rest in him. But then there's also a second part of that that says, who are called according to his purpose. See, Joseph was called according to God's purpose. God didn't say, Joseph, you're faithful. Your life's going to be easy. He said, no, Joseph, I've got a purpose for you. You don't understand it right now. It's going to involve slavery, and it's going to involve prison for like 15 years, Wow, 
I mean, come on. I mean, you know, that's, that's like half my life. But at the end, there's going to be good. I have a purpose for you. So the same thing is true for us. We have a purpose. If we're called by God and we're his child, we have a purpose. In fact, Jesus says this. He says this in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Everybody else is a hired hand. They don't care about us. But Jesus cared about us so much that he died on the cross for us. Now, I want the band to go ahead and start coming up. And they're going to play a song called Blessed Redeemer. Are you guys familiar with that song? Blessed Redeemer? Well, if you're not, you're about to be because they're going to sing it. But in that, it talks about Redeemer. And Redeemer is talking about Jesus. So I, I want to I leave you with this, kind of two things. If you're in that position of this cycle of sin and unfaithfulness and it's just ah, anger or lust or lack of trust or whatever it might be, you have a Redeemer in Jesus. Jesus died for you, and if you turn to him, he will call you his child, and he will save you. So turn from your sin and repent. But if you're in a position and you feel like, man, I'm being faithful and I'm being good, like what's the deal, God? Why is my life so hard? You need to remember Jesus is your Redeemer. He died for you. He has a purpose for you. And ultimately it is for your good, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy right now. You need to remember that, okay? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today, Lord, this opportunity to come together and worship you, to look at your word, Lord. Think about Joseph and his life and what he did, Lord, and what you did through him. I pray that you would remind us that you are our God and you're our Redeemer. And that we can turn to you whether or not we are in sin or whether or not we are faithful, Lord, that you are always faithful and you are our good shepherd. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.